Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. God is good. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would please, to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 6, two two verses there. As we continue on our way, access and retrieval. Let me ask you, how many of you suffer from forgetfulness? Just a few of you, just, yeah. Some of you just forgot that you forget. You forgot what you're, what you're to pick up from the store. You get there, like, what did my wife say? You know, nowadays with phones, you ought to just record her. You know, just take, put on the four recorder or you can put the notes down there. Forget where you put your keys. You forgot what you're about to do. You forget where the kids are, whatever. You f- just forget. We all have those moments where we just forget. Maybe you're like me. You can remember faces, but you struggle with names, remembering people's names. Uh, we, we begin to question our minds and we wonder what, 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 why are we always forgetting things? What's going on? Is there something, uh, is it a simple thing? Am I too stressed? Am I too busy? Or, or do I have some other type of issue going on? The problem, though, for many of us is not, uh, the problem for many of us is our retrieval system. It's not so much do we have enough storage, but it's the retrieval system in our brains, the ability to access the mental storage that God has given us. It just, it just doesn't seem to reach right there. Remember, we, we'll use that phrase, it's at the tip of my tongue, and maybe it's just at the tip of your brain, but you're just trying to bring it forth. We have an access and retrieval problem. There's a cottage industry that's built to help people remedy this problem. There are all sorts of programs, classes, and techniques for memory recall. The Human Memory website notes this. It says, we can understand how the human brain stores information by using a simple analogy. Our brain is like a storeroom where we consider, uh, when we consider memory storage. Like a store, you want to keep the important things on the shelf because in that way they'll become easily accessible. Similarly, our brains keep important things on the surface levels of our memory storage. You pay attention to things that you like, and that is why the subjects of your interest are easier for you to remember as compared to the things in which you do not like. Or we can think of it as a hard drive on a computer. You have a RAM, a ready access memory, and then the rest of the data is on a hard drive, and that sometimes takes a little bit longer to access. What you and I need when we have this problem of forgetfulness or memory lapse is we need to find ways to access and retrieve all that information that is stored in the old noggin. We need to find it in a way in which it makes sense to us. In last week's passage, Jesus warned his disciples about causing someone to sin and then the commands them to, to forgive those that trespass against them. Some very hard and difficult words. And if you weren't able to catch that message, I would uh, leave you to go to our website or our YouTube channel, Facebook, so on and so forth. That you can catch up on that. For the last few chapters, Jesus has been addressing the questions and the critiques of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, along with giving some instructions and warnings to a large group of disciples that have been traveling along with Jesus as he's journeying to Jerusalem. 
In today's passage, Jesus now turns to the 12 men he has chosen to be his companion in ministry. And that's where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 17. Look with me at verses 5 through 6. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and what? It would obey you. Now, the word apostles, let's go ahead, let's pray real quickly. Father, I forgot to pray. How's that to start off with? Father, I pray that you just be with it this morning. I'm now a little bit concerned about what's going to come out of my mouth from this. Lord, I pray that you would just bless us. And Lord, we just want to take your word and understand what this interaction between you and the disciples are going on, the apostles, the twelve. Father, they're asking for a request that many of us ask for ourselves. And so, Father, help us to understand as we, we interpret this passage scripture, we come now 2,000 years further in, in, in history, and now we want to apply it. And mainly, we want to respond to the Spirit's work. And above all, I would join with the apostles, and I pray that our family and friends here would do as well and say, increase our faith. Now, the word apostle means messengers. These are the men that would lead the church after Jesus uh, rises from the dead and ascends to heaven. They're going to be the ones who are going to bear the brunt of, of, of bearing and being witnesses to the testimony of who Jesus is. In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus had went on the mountain and he called him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 men among, he, among whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority over demons. So these were the 12 men that are going to carry on the brunt of Jesus' work in the early ministry. And after hearing Jesus' warnings to pay attention from last week, lest they cause someone to sin and the need to forgive others, they realized how difficult that task is really going to be. How many of you could say amen to that? You saw that this week. You heard the word of God. You responded to the Holy Spirit. But even this week, you had trouble doing that. I know that I did. Knowing their inadequacy, they simply asked the Lord to increase our faith, not to give us faith, but to increase our faith, to increase that which we already have. What a great prayer. I believe that's something that we should pray for each and every morning. Is Lord increase my prayer or my faith. What a great response to the words of Christ. They recognized that in their own power, they were not sufficient to obey his commands. So they asked him for help. By addressing Jesus as Lord, they are declaring that he is the master, one of higher status than they are. What is interesting is that they are asking of Jesus that which one would normally ask of Yahweh, the Father. Whether they understood properly Jesus' true identity as God, we're not sure. But they did know that he was an extraordinary person and that he was from God. So first, I want to consider what they were asking for. What they were asking for is an increase of faith. Not for faith itself, but an increase of faith. Now, most of this will be a matter of view, especially if you've been here at OVBC and you've heard me preach for any amount of time over the years. But it's still important and good to get a good grasp, a firm grasp of the biblical faith, of what biblical faith is. So with that, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read some passages there. 
And as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 11, it's near the end of the New Testament, I want to tell you what faith is not. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Many other people say, well, faith is you just got to take that blind leap. You just got to, you just got to, you got to jump. But that's not what faith is. Some believe faith is a head or just an intellectual belief, but it is not. It's not just an assent to the set of facts. Uh, Satan believes and, and, and would agree to assent of facts of who Jesus is, who God is, but yet that's not faith. Faith is also not a temporary or a 911 emergency call. Faith is, as we read from Hebrews 11, looking at verse 1 through 3, we see that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So it's, it's a reasonable looking at the evidence and coming to a conclusion. It says in verse 1 of Hebrews 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So very there, he says, this is just the evidence of looking at the evidence and saying, I believe these things are true. It's faith without seeing, but it's not a blind leap of faith. Faith is also, you've heard me say many times, is a bold obedience to God's word and defiance of circumstances and consequences. We can see this, look at verse 8 of, of Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 8, we see by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as inheritance. Remember in Genesis, uh, Yahweh comes to Abram and says, go, leave your family, leave your, your business, leave everything that you have and go into the desert, a place you've never been to. And he obeys. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac. Remember that Abraham never had a house. He never had a home. He never had a portion of land which he owned, which was not just a cave where he buried his dead. Living in tents, Isaac and Jacob, his children and his grandchildren did not have homes or lands that were theirs. Heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that had his foundation. So his faith was something that he always looked forward to after death. Bold obedience to God's word in defiance of the circumstances and consequences. But as you've seen me, I've kind of tried to limit it here. And you'll see it here on the, board, on the monitor. Is faith is simply a confident trust in the person of God. You got to get this down. This is easy to memorize. Faith is simply just a confident trust in the person of God. We read this in verse 6 of Hebrews 11. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You need to trust that God is a, is a God of character and that he will do what he says he will do. That's simply what faith is. Now, faith is important, again, as a matter review. Faith is important because, number one, faith is the only way to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot enter into heaven, the kingdom of God, without 
faith. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10, 13, and 17, as we read earlier, for whoever, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the entrance. That is the confession. That's the key to get into the kingdom of heaven. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. He goes on to say faith is the only path to be right with God. There are many people, that's what religion is, by the way. It's a way to make yourself right, either in your own eyes or in the eyes of society or a culture that you live in or to some higher being. But there's only one way to be right with God, not man-made rules and legalism and things of that nature. But in Galatians 3.11, we read now it is evident that no one is justified or made right or declared right by God by the law, by the Ten Commandments, by, by Moses. The very thing that Jesus came to fulfill, he says, for the righteous shall live by, anyone want to take a guess? Faith, by a confident trust in the person of God. If you want to just put that on the side. Faith is the only path to peace with God. Now, this throws people off. Many people think, well, me and God, we got a good thing going. We have an understanding. But let me, let, me, let me share this with you. From the moment of your birth, you were wonderfully and fearfully made. But it also says that God's wrath is poured upon on you. See, he sees you as an object of wrath. You are children of disobedience. You're following the prince and the power of the air. At this point, we are still enemies of Christ. So when I think of the ultimate power of the universe, the very first thing that I want with him is peace. Romans 5.1, we read that since we have been justified, made right or declared right with God by faith or by faith, we have peace with God. So for us, it's when we have a confident trust in God, in the person of God, that we not only get to enter into the kingdom, but we also realize that we are right with God and then that we have peace with God. It's more than just forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin does not bring peace all the time. It does not always bring reconciliation. We spoke about that last week. So faith is important because without faith, you do not have those three things. So hence why you can see why they may say increase our faith. Now, the second thing I want us to consider is why. So looked, we looked at what they were asking for. Now I want to think and consider why were they asking for an increase in faith. And to understand the request, we need to reflect on what Jesus has been demanding from these 12 men, along with all of those who are following him, along with you and I, and to be honest, along not only just with Christians, but what Jesus demands from the whole world. And I'm just going to, this is not an exclusive list, but I just want to give you a few things here, exclusive Lists. I can't sit talk this morning. Jesus first demanded full and total allegiance. In Luke, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. How many of you say, man, that is difficult. That is difficult to do moment by moment. It is. He demanded that they not be afraid to leave their vocation, their dreams, and their aspirations in calling them to follow me. Remember, he says, leave that there, come and follow me. He demanded them to love their enemies, to do good to those who hate them, to bless those who curse them, to pray for those who abuse you. You and I find this difficult even today, especially in this political, cultural, social environment. He demanded that they put away all anxiety and worry and trust in the promises of God. 
And from last week, he demanded that they forgive all, every one of those who trespassed against them if they repent. And this is just to name a few of the demands of Christ. You see, you and I, along with these 12 men, understand that these demands of Christ are overwhelming. As Paul writes, who is sufficient for these things? Who can love their wives, submit to their husbands, and train up their children? How do we love our neighbor as ourself? How do we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? I'm so divided within myself. So they realize that this is what they're asking for. Paul goes on to say that we are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us. They understood that there was nothing within them that was going to allow them to do so. But Paul also goes on to say, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. So they recognize that there is a sense in which by following Christ, he is making them sufficient, but yet they still feel that that was not enough. Paul knew that God had enabled us to, in his power to follow him, but he also understood his and our weaknesses. In his own struggle in living out his faith, when facing the difficult thorns in his flesh, he cried out to God for help. But God the Father responded, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, obviously, the disciples had not heard these words of yet, but their prayer is simple. Increase our faith. We are not sufficient. The 12 are learning, just as we are as we move through the Gospel of Luke, that it's not enough just to swear allegiance to the kingdom of God or to assent to a matter of facts of who Jesus is or even to profess that we believe in Christ. It's not enough just to do that, but we also need to continue to live and act as if we are. So many times we say, yes, I profess Christ. I swear allegiance to Christ. I bow the knee to Christ, but yet our actions, our minds, our thoughts, our behaviors show that our allegiance is actually somewhere else. And so we need to recognize that. Now, looking back at verse 6, We read Jesus' response back in Luke chapter 17. Jesus' response to their simple request, increase our faith. Jesus said, if you had faith like grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, this verse has been taken out of context by many who view faith as some way to move the mountains of your own life, right? whatever your suffering is, whatever financial hardship is, whatever relationship problem, those are mountains, right? Just like giants when it comes to King David. And so I need to move these mountains. However, that's not what scripture is speaking here. Jesus is using hyperbole, uh, an obvious and intentional exaggeration, an extravagant statement or figure of speech. It's not intended to be taken literally. A grain of mustard seed is is very, very small, but it grows (coughs) into a large bush or tree. You you know this as we've spoken about this in Matthew and in Mark. In this case, Jesus points to a mulberry tree that was probably nearby. He says, you could say to that tree, just be uprooted, unplanted, and, and go plant yourself in the seed and it would obey you. He's teaching them here 
is that there is power in faith. He is teaching that there are great things can be accomplished with faith. And that's what you and I need to understand. If you get anything, understand that your faith, that God has given us faith that can accomplish great things in the name of Christ. Now, the disciples like us today want an increase in faith. They want more faith to enable us to do big and great things. And that's what many times we're asking for. Now, you might recall that Jesus are described their faith as being little and weak in the past. Yet his reply in this passage is not speaking about their need. Now, get this. This is the point. His reply in this passage is not speaking about their need for more faith, an increase in faith, but Jesus is pointing to the fact that even the smallest of faith can accomplish great deeds. Two things need to be pointed out here for the children of God. For us to carry out the Father's will and Jesus' demands, you and I need to have two things. One is the presence of faith and then the perception of faith. The presence of, of faith and the perception Theologian Daryl Bach, you'll see it here on the monitor, says that Jesus is not concerned about faith volume, but about its presence. Jesus is not pointing out is that they need more. They need to feel increase in faith, that there needs to be more of it. But he's pointing out is that you need to have faith, even small faith. A little faith is powerful. Faith, as you know, is not a superpower that you get from falling into a vat of industrial goo. It's not getting bit by a radiated spider. It's not exposure to gamma rays or from being from another planet. Though faith is not a superpower, it is supernatural. Can you get that? Faith is not superpower, but it is supernatural. It is a supernatural gift from the Father to those who believe in Jesus and are empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you have trusted in Christ, then you have faith. It is something that has been given to you. Faith is not something we conjure up within ourselves. As people said, oh, if I just had more faith or I just need to have more faith. It is a gift from God. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 3, that each one is to serve using our spiritual gifts according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we talk about that all the time. Just as God has assigned you a birth, male or female, he has assigned you a measure of faith as he has assigned you a spiritual gift. And we need to recognize that. And so that measure, just by using that term, measure means that it can grow and maybe it can diminish, depending on how much you put a confident trust in God. That's why scripture calls us to pray and to petition for more faith and grace, as we sung about earlier. The disciples are asking for a wonderful gift but they must not negate that which God has already given them. And I think that's the problem for many of us. We ask God for more money, but yet we're not using the money he's already given us in a wise biblical way. 
We ask for more influence, but we're not using our influence for, for the way that God. We want to be better stewards. We want to be, have more in stewardship, but yet we're not being faithful in being a steward. So before you ask, increase your faith, increase my faith, are you using the faith that God has already given you? For the faith that you have today is enough to plant a tree in the ocean. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that that's what you're to do. We're not to move mountains. Could you imagine moving mountains? We'd be the flattest land on the earth, right? That's not what God is calling here. But he's calling you to access and retrieve the faith that I've given you. Faith is like a muscle that the more we exercise it, the better we grow, the stronger we become. You see, you may be struggling with confidently trusting the Father right now. And even today, you wish that you had more faith. However, I want you to be encouraged that God has given what you need to endure and persevere in whatever heat that is coming in your life, whether it's financial, relationship, marriage, children, whatever heat God has given you, he has given you enough faith and grace to handle it. Even a little faith can accomplish great things in Christ's name. Now, so that was the presence. We need the presence of faith. You cannot please God without the presence of faith. But the second need is the perception. Thomas Schreiner wrote, writes this. It's here on the monitor so you can make a copy if you want or take a picture. He says, the question then is whether the apostles have faith and whether that faith is in the right object. And this is going to be important as we go on to. Think of a little child. And say this little child, say it's Nolan or Lily or even Ivy. And, and we're sitting at, at, a, at a pool, maybe at the pool and the dad's in the pool. Or maybe it's from a balcony or not maybe a balcony, but from a ledge or something of that nature. And what is it that parents always want to do? You know, dads are always good at this. Ready? Come on, jump to me, jump, jump, jump. And what happens? And they're like, oh, you know, you see this, they're kind of itching. They kind of want to. And they're just all over the place. And you come on. And what do we do? We keep encouraging them. Jump, jump, jump. And they're, they're like all over. Here's the key. You know what's going to help that child jump? is when they keep their eyes on daddy. When they look at the water, when they look at the height, when they look at something else, maybe the length, the distance, what happens? They lose a confident trust in daddy. But when they keep their eyes on daddy, they have a confident trust, unless you're like Lucy, and don't be a Lucy, guys, where you're moving the ball from your child, is that they're going to catch me. Daddy's going to catch me. And what you do, you do a few ones, right? Right, real close. They gain some trust, right? You come a little further, they catch you. A little bit further away. Now, sometimes us dads, we can be bad. We just drop them just to drop them, or we throw them up and scare them or something. So don't blame your child if they don't have a confident trust in you, if you're doing those types of things. And I've been guilty of that maybe a couple times when my children were younger. But that's what it is. Is that what we need to do is many times the reason, reason we're struggling is not because we need an increase of faith. It's because the object of our faith is wrong. The perception, it's on myself. Again, the object of our faith is in the person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our heritage. It's not in our good works or some other type of work or concept you can conjure up. 
It must be a confident trust in the person of God. Our eyes must be focused on him at all times. Every generation must struggle with this same concept. There are so many things vying and competing for our desires and attention. This is why Paul warns in Colossians 2, again, look on the monitor if you would, please. As he says, as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up and established in the faith, in a confident trust in the person of God. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empties deceit according to human tradition. And here's the thing. I think so many Christians have been found captive and bound up and chained to human philosophy and vain uh, deceit, empty deceits and vain human, tr- human traditions. You see this when it comes to biblical counseling versus therapy. It's amazing just how many people say, well, the Bible is sufficient for this. God is sufficient for this, but he's not sufficient for that. And you can just, we can do that in all things. Well, God is big, but he can't help me in my marriage. He can't help me in my finances. He can't help me in my children. We have our perception. We have our eyes, our focus on the wrong thing. Not to, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So who are you focusing on? What's your perception of faith? You may be asking for more faith, but the problem is, is you're looking, here, here's God, but you're just kind of looking to the side. You're looking at the water like Peter. The water's become troubled, right? When did Peter start to sink? When he took his eyes off Jesus and began to doubt. We're looking at the, the distance. Well, God was okay when it was like this, but man, he, he's further away. I don't think I can make that jump. That's what many times we are doing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I have given you a faith. We must confidently trust in the God who promises, I will not flood the entire world or destroy mankind by flood. We need to confidently trust in the God who promises, I will restore Israel, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to confidently trust when Jesus says, I will return. And that all things work to good for those that are called according to his purpose. We need to understand that God has given us the faith. That increase our faith is a good prayer. However, the problem is is he's given you all the faith you need to endure and to please him at this very moment. The problem you and I have is that we're not accessing and retrieving the faith that he's given us. We have a spiritual forgetfulness. That's what Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples today. So you may ask, well, what is keeping me from accessing my faith, from retrieving that that seed of faith that he has given me? Well, let's consider what keeps you from accessing your memories It could be a brain issue, right? It could be dementia. It could be some type of injury. It could be the fact that you're just dead. Maybe you really don't have faith. Maybe it's an attention span that's very limited. Maybe there's some type of training that just needs to happen. But in the same way, there are many things that can keep you from accessing and retrieving the faith that God has gifted you. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. 
We understand what faith is. You should now by now. Faith is a confident trust in God. It is a gift from God. We are to use it. We cannot please God except by through faith. But what I want to do is I want to tell, share with you how you and I can access our faith or what are some things that are keeping us? That's the better way. What is keeping me from accessing and retrieving the faith given to us? Well, in this way, we're, we're, we're indebted to Pastor John Piper out of Bethlehem in, in Minneapolis. He gives us five ways we can shipwreck your faith. Number one, we can see it in the third soils in Jesus' parable, parable, parable <laughs> due to coveting the riches and pleasures of life. What makes us, keeps us from accessing the faith to do what God calls us? Because our perception, our focus is on pleasures of life and riches. That's what we have. I know God has called me to do this, but you know what? If I spend money on the lotto, then that can supply my needs forever. Oh, do I need to go back and focus on God? If God can supply all your needs, then why are we drifting over here? Well, I don't know what I should do about this. Well, let's go right back. Number two, he speaks of Demas who, who shipwrecked his faith because he owed his life for the present, for love for this present age. He just loved the thing of this world. To him, life was about going out down to the circle of orange and going to all those different things and just having fun with my friends. That's what life is about. It's about entertaining myself. It's about living for me or the things of the world. You will not be able to access and retrieve your faith, nonetheless even grow it, if you have a love of this world. What does John say? For the love of the world is, is against God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things are contrary to the word of God. And I am concerned and I pray that there may not be any of you that are struggling with the cares and the love of this world. What keeps you from coming to church? What keeps you from reading God's word? What keeps you from loving your wife, submitting to your husband, from, from, from loving your neighbor? What is, what is keeping you? And I, I, most likely, it is a love of the world. Thirdly, we see that of Hymenaeus and Alexander. They shipped their, their faith because they rejected a good conscience. When the Holy Spirit comes and says, this is not how you love your neighbor. This is not how you love God. This is not good. This is not right. They just rejected it. In this case, they're not saved. Their conscience has been seared. Hence why Jesus said last week, pay attention to yourself. Guard your heart, Solomon says. Paul would say, test and examine to see whether or not you are in the faith. Why? Because we can sear our consciences. And I roll a harsh word to our loved one, to a friend, to a family member that causes us to be trespassed against or even to trespass someone else. And then we don't forgive. Then what happens? Our heart becomes even harder. And, no, all long, so, and then as we continue to sin, no longer do we even think of it as sin. Hence why when we do communion, my warning is if you've made friendship with the world, friendship with your sin, you have a seared conscience not only can you not get more faith but you can't even access and retrieve any faith that god may given may have given you and may prove yourself to be lost so i encourage you 
You think, well, you know what? This is just my personality. I'm an angry person. I'm quick to temper. It's not a personality quirk. That's sin. And we need to recognize that. There are many, too many things that we say is just our personality quirks or just how I am or how someone makes me. I'm sorry, that is still sin. It must be repented of and confessed and put down to the Father. The next was those who escaped defilement in 2 Peter, as they become, with the def- uh, become entangled with the defilements of the world. I see this in churches and pastors today, as we think of like Revoice Conference, in which what they're trying to teach is that you can be gay and a Christian. You can be gay, Christian, and monogamous. You can be gay, Christian, and actually have gay partners. Intimacy. They're, they're entangled with the defilements of the world. They, they don't mind those things. And I, I think we're in a danger and where we even have Christians today saying, it's okay, let the world go to hell in a handbasket. It's just a neutral world. It's okay. We have, there is one Christian writer, very, very influential. One man I used to follow who now says that drag queen hour in a library or at your school is a blessing of liberty. And this is Christians, we should be thankful for that. Doesn't mean you have to go to it, doesn't mean you have to approve it, but it is a great blessing and we should not seek to end its demise. Tennessee is working to go against that. We're mutilating children as young as 10 years old because of defilements of the world. And so we need to understand that our faith should supplant that. We should endure that. We need to fight against that. But that will kill your faith as we absorb in the more of the things of the world. Garbage in, garbage out, right? We learned that as as young people when we first picked up the computer. And then number five, the fifth reason that keeps us from retrieving and accessing our faith that he has given us is the warning found in Hebrews 3 against the deceitfulness of sin. See, we think that we can do those things that displease God. You know, I, I can drink to excess. I, I can smoke this. Yeah, so it takes me out of the spirit. But okay, that's okay. I, I can do this. I can do that. And we think that sin has no payment or no penalty because we got away with it. Well, let me tell you, you do not get away with it. The Bible tells us that all things will be brought. God will judge. Speaking of Christ, will judge all things that we've done in our heart. Remember, the heart is those things that we think of, the things that we love, and the things that we choose. There is nothing that's done in the darkness that will not be shouted out at the housetops. Again, giving us an illustration of that which we think is hidden. So why can't we access and retrieve that faith? Is because there's many ways in which just shipwrecking our own faith. We're not able to access and retrieve it. God has given you everything. You're sitting here today. I need more faith. Amen. Pray for that. But are using the faith that God has given you today. My grace, he says, is sufficient for you. Hence why the prayer is, and I ask the Lord that I may grow, right? Because I pray, the answer he, he, the prayer he answers is for more grace and faith. But that faith must be in the person of God. It must be a confident trust in God. I will join you in praying for more faith. 
But more importantly, I want to pray today that you access the faith that God has given you today, that you may please him and glorify him. Amen? So let us join the disciples in praying for more faith. But not us, let us not neglect the measure of faith that has already been given to us. Let us boldly and confidently trust in the person of God, for he is worthy of all praise. All of his decisions are wise, righteous, and good for his glory and our good. Let us commit this morning to accessing, accessing and exercising this wonderful gift of faith that he has given to those that call upon his name. So let me end with this question. Do you trust God? Do you confidently trust God? Or are you like a little child that's just having a, a fear of jumping into his father's arms? Do so. He's given you all that you need as long as you keep your eyes on him. Do you access your faith? Or do you pray? Do you read scripture? Do you, do you, do you strive to please God? Or you say, well, I've got my faith. All I need is just enough faith to get me to heaven. And then I'm going to live my life the way I want within my own willpower. You will fail, my friend. And you will fail miserably. And it will affect your family. It will affect your friends. It will affect your life. And do you pray for more? Do so. But access that which God has given you. Let me close with 2 Timothy <coughs> chapter 4. <coughs> seven through eight, Paul is near the end of his life. He's in prison. He's a man who has been accessing and retrieving the faith that God has given him, and he's seen it grow and grow and grow stronger and stronger. He's able to say, able to say this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have kept my faith. I have confidently trusted in the person of God. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's capitalized. That's the day that Christ returns, the day we stand before him. And not only to me, but also to all those who loved his appearing. What is Paul saying? In all the things I suffered in life, the beatings, the tortures, the whippings, the shipwrecks, the actual shipwrecks, uh, the persecutions, all these things I have endured without taking my eyes off of Christ. Let us be men and women who do the same. For his glory, for our good, that God may be glorified in all things. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.